Father God, thank you so much that your goodness, regardless of what we've done in our past, what we'll do in our future, what we're doing in our present, your goodness continues to come after us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. So I'd just like to get a lay of the land here to see how many students right now do we have that are either in elementary school, high school, uh, college, graduate school, medical school, doctoral student. Raise your hand if you're a student. Yeah, oh, there's a lot of you, okay. So this is probably not a good thing to say, but I wanna tell you something that I don't hate, what I hate about school. So it's probably not good to say this, but Here's one thing that I despised about school. I did not like when the teachers walked in the classroom on Monday morning and they sort of had an evil smile on their face. And they would walk in and they would, they would look at the, the students and then they would say this. They'd say, hey students, guess what time it is? And all the Students would sort of say, what time is it? Paranoid about what was coming. And then you would hear, it's pop quiz time. And then you would hear this audible groan. Ugh, pop quiz. But there's always these outliers. There's always this one student that was just kind of giddy. <gasps> pop quiz! But that was you, Rachel, wasn't it? That was probably you. And, and there was always that one student, it was pop quiz. I just hated pop quizzes. We're going to do a pop quiz today. Sorry, students. Don't want to get PTSD or anything like this. It's Sabbath day. But we're going to do a little bit of a pop quiz today. And I want you to pull out your phones only for this purpose or to open up your Bible later. Pull out your phones. And then I want you to open up your texting app and uh, text um, 94... 000, 94,000, and this is, this is the question that you're going to answer. What question have we been talking about for almost a year now? Real quick, that's pop quiz. What is church? Good, one person knew that out of everybody here. So what is church? So I don't want you to answer what you think church should be. Answer what you think. See, we started in Matthew 18, okay? When we were still in the Upper Youth Center, right? Starting in Matthew 18, Jesus said to his disciples, he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And then we moved on from, from chapter 1 of the book of Acts all the way up to chapter 12, okay? And so we've been answering the question, what is church? So send that response. I'll give you about 10 to 15 seconds to send that response of what is church. What's the answer of what is church based on the context of what we've been talking about here? What is church? I'll give you about 10, 15 seconds, and then I'm going to grade you and let you know if you're a pass or a fail. Let's see what happens here. I know there's always uh, one or two people who are a little smart aleck and send little funny things in to me because they think it's funny. One, I don't ever think it's funny, whatever you send me. So I am uh, not, oh yeah, there, it just blew up. Okay, so good. All right, here we go. Church. Oh, some online people. Awesome. 
Okay, what is church? What is church? Uh, hmm, that's funny. Yeah, church is snuggling with Pastor Mark. That's, that's funny. I won't tell you who that was. Um, church is a family. Church is a place to learn about Jesus. Church is sharing my love for Jesus. Church is the people, the community. Church is community that work together. Um, a gathering, a gathering that shouldn't be dependent, dependent, but is still important. Oh, a gathering that shouldn't be dependent, but is still important. Good. Church is community. Church is family. Um, let's see. Let's keep on going. Man, you guys are doing good. Church is a spiritual community. Uh, a people that come together to worship God. Good. Um, church is the people. Uh, again, church is community. It's a lot about community. Church is a place or person you can worship together with. You can be free of judgment, and they come together to celebrate the goodness of God. Ooh, I like that. Good job. That was a high school student, by the way. Um, that's your church. Church is a group of people who come together to worship. So you get the idea. Uh, there's, there's, I probably have about 30, 30 responses here. Thank you so much. You, uh, you guys passed. Good job. You passed. Give yourselves a hand. Have you ever passed a quiz before? I'm proud of you. I never passed quizzes, so especially pop quizzes, never. So we are at this strange little pivot point in answering the question of what is church. And, and so... We are at a place in, in Acts chapter 13 where, where it is referred to as Paul's first missionary journey. So we're at this pivot point of we've been asking the question of what is church. We've been answering the question from Matthew 18 all the way through Acts chapter 12. And we are moving into a different phase where it is the church in action. So we will still be answering the question, what is church? But now we're going to start to see the church in what? Action. Good. And so we're going to be looking at the chapter 13 of Acts, Paul's first missionary journey. What we're going to notice is that God's number one goal for the church, God's number one goal for the church is that all people may become disciples of Jesus. That's his number one goal. You're going to hear that over and over again. But his number one goal for the church is that to make disciples of all people. doesn't matter what background. doesn't matter what they've done. It doesn't matter where they live. The church is to make disciples. This is number, number one priority. You're going to see that over and over again. But specifically here in chapter 13, God wants the church to focus his energy and resources on reaching the unreached. Reaching the unreached. We'll talk about that here in a minute. So, take out your phones if you have the Bible app. If you don't have the Bible app, go to your app store and type in Bible, and you'll see a bunch of them come up. Chapter 13, verse 1. We got 12 verses we're going to rip through real quick. So, verse 1, it's real quick. They're at the church of Antioch. There was prophets and teachers that were gathered. There's only two names here that you will recognize, and that is Saul and Barnabas. Saul is a new convert, by the way, brand new convert to Christianity, to being a follower of Jesus Christ. 
And, and they're at this church. They are gathered. There's a guy named Simeon. There's a guy named Lucius. There's a guy named Manan. And they're all together in one place. Verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. So what was the church doing? They were worshiping the Lord and they were fasting. So let me just strip down what worship is, okay? Worship in its simplest form is acknowledging who God is, what he's done in the past, what he is doing in the present, and in faith knowing what he's going to be doing in the future, and your dedicated focus and gratitude is upon praising that God, the God of the past, present, and future, acknowledging what he's done, what he's doing, and what he will do. That's stripped-down worship, and that's the central focus of what it is, and your full attention on that. Now, what's fasting? Now, some of you know what intermittent fasting is. That's for your health. But what is spiritual fasting? So spiritual fasting is something completely different. And to strip that down real quick, it's discipline training. It's learning how to say no to certain things so that your focus in worship is not distracted by whatever you're saying no to. So it could be a food fast. We're not sure what it is here. We obviously know that it's not a media fast. But we fast from things that distract us from the worship of God. And so this church of Antioch is gathered together and their major focus is on who God is, what God has done, what God is doing and what he wants to do. They're fasting so that they are ultra-focused without any of the distraction on what God is going to say to them. And so it's probably a good idea for us to think about this. It's not a for magic formula, but when do we gather with the combination of worshiping God, fasting at the same time where we are cutting things out of our life that distract us from the worship of God? What things must you cut out of your life to worship God with complete focus and attention. You know what those are. You, know, you can look up on your phone right now and see how much time you spend on whatever you spend time on. That could be a distraction. Maybe that's fasting from that. So, so the church is gathered. They're, they're worshiping the Lord and they're fasting. And because they are so focused and they've cut out distractions, the next word is the Holy Spirit said. When we want to hear the voice of God, when we want to get clarity on what God is trying to tell us to do in our lives, when we want to know clarity of what his purpose is for our life, worshiping and fasting is something pretty important. And you get clarity on that. And then the Lord said, Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. For the work to which I have called them. Nothing specific here. So during the time of worship and fasting, Holy Spirit spoke. But the task, what we know the task is to take the gospel to the unreached. That's that specific purpose. So the church is starting to deploy into action. 
So I do not want you to minimize the power and the importance of what preceded that, which is worship and fasting. And then we have another part of the combination. So after they had fasted and prayed, this is verse 3, after they had fasted and prayed, so let's just stop there for a second. And if, if, if all we did as a church body and we did nothing more, if our central focus was just we're going to have our complete undivided attention on the worship of who God is, what God's done in the past, what he is doing in the present, and what he will continue to do. Worship God. And then we cut out whatever, whatever is distracting us from that worship. And then we throw in prayer as a part of that. Tell me how Satan can stand up to that. If Satan can distract the church to not do those three things, he can beat up the church. When the church body decides to collectively come together and worship, pray, fast, game over. The gates of hell will not prevail. So they prayed and fast. They placed their hands on these chosen men to send them off. So they were sent off after worship, fasting, and prayer. The two of them, I love, I, I love the clarity of Scripture, verse 4. We, we sometimes miss this if we go too fast. But it says, the two of them sent on their way by who? The Holy Spirit. So, verse 3, verse 3, we have the church sending them out. Verse 4, we have the Holy Spirit guiding them where to go. They don't have a GPS coordinates. They are literally being led by the Holy Spirit to a land where there is unreached people. So led by the Holy Spirit. They went down to Seleucia, sailed from there to Cyprus. So specific destination was unknown, but their response to God their response to God's call required somewhat of an adventurous spirit. So the calling of God is important, but what's just as crucial is the going. And sometimes we can accept the call, but do we take that first step forward to go wherever it is God's calling? Because he is calling. Verse 6, they traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish, listen to this, a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus. So Luke identifies this in, in those descriptive words as he was Jewish, he was a sorcerer, and he was a false prophet. Verse 7, what did he do? Well, he was an attendant of the proconsul. That's the governor. Sergius Paulus was his name. The proconsul, an intelligent man as Luke describes him. Luke was a pretty intelligent guy. He was a doctor. And he was sent, he sent for Barnabas. This wasn't an invitation for tea and cookies or crackers. This was uh, a summons. He summoned um, Barnabas and Saul. And li listen to these words. Because he wanted to hear the word of God. There was something in the governor's heart that felt the need to hear a word from God. So, 
You may assume that this guy named Bar-Jesus um, was on the governor's staff, possibly as a spiritual advisor. But he was not doing a good enough job to fill the void that his boss had in his heart. So he was in a position to talk about spiritual things to the governor, but it was not fulfilling the void that the governor was having. So he summoned these two guys that he had heard about to hear a word from God. Now, Sergius Paulus' only connection to God was a man that was unfaithful to his roots. That was his only connection to God. Isn't that interesting that the first missionary journey that God sends two men to was to a politician who was hungry to hear the word from the Lord. God's number one goal for the church is for us to make disciples of all people. It's over and over again. In verse 8, um, this Bar-Jesus guy, his name was also Elymas, the sorcerer, for that was what his name meant, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. So he was a little worried about maybe losing his livelihood. And then I, I, I want you to hear this. Verse 9, Saul, a new convert, by the way, brand new convert, who was also called Paul, there's the name change, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at this guy named Bar-Jesus. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Primary characteristic of Paul's life is that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't it be awesome, Forest Lake church members, attenders, people come and visit, wherever you go in this community in Central Florida, Whoever you encounter, they say a little bit more about you. Well, that's a nice person. Well, they dress well. They sure smell good. But what if it was this? Man, there's something unique about that person. A Christian would identify it. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. A non-Christian would say, I want whatever they got. I don't know what they are, but they, can, they are amazing. They're friendly. They love. Filled with the Holy Spirit. He looks straight at the guy. And understand, this is, this is conviction from the Holy Spirit. This is boldness. I mean, Paul just steps into this uh, part of history. And we start to see how bold and courageous Paul is. And he, he starts to call Bar-Jesus out. You are a child of the devil. You are a son of Satan. You know what Bar-Jesus means? Bar-Jesus means son of salvation. And, and, and Paul knew that. And Paul said, no, no, no. You're not a son of salvation. You're a son of Satan. He calls him out. And listen to these descriptive words. And an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. You will never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord. Do you have any relationships or friendships that that verse can describe? Think about that. It's time to run 
Walk away for a period of time. Collect yourself. But read that verse and say, hmm, does that describe anybody I hang out with? It's interesting. Verse 11. And this is Paul, understand, under the control of the Holy Spirit, and he actually pronounces a curse. Now, I, I, I have no clue if you've ever encountered someone possessed by the devil. Scary stuff. But just be aware that you have to be absolutely under the conviction of the Holy Spirit to speak like this. Because in a couple of chapters, you're going to read about somebody trying to cast out demons in the name of Jesus, and the demon beat them to death and stripped them naked, and they had to run away naked. But Paul, under conviction and control of the Holy Spirit, looks straight at this guy in the eye and says, now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. And immediately it says, mist, which is blurry, and darkness came over him. And he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. And then what happens next is Sergius Paulus is watching all of this go down. In verse 12, it says, when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed. And there must have been some teaching going on there too, because then it says, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. He was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Again, Sergius Paulus was a Gentile. He was a powerful political figure, the governor. And that was the first missionary journey was to share the gospel with a politician. And there's some of you in this room watching online that sit with people that have great influence over the city, over the state. And as a follower of Jesus, I'm praying that God will convict you that he will open up a door to talk more about just sports, to talk more about whatever the meeting's agenda is, but that there will be an open door to be able to share a part of your life with them. And that's for all of us, no matter who we are with, whoever we work with, whoever we go to school with, whoever our neighbors are. God's number one goal for the church is that all people may become disciples of Christ. To journey with those individuals, to help them grow in Jesus. The church is God's plan for reaching those who do not know him. And what an incredible gift it is that we get to join God in helping redeem humanity back to him. It's incredible. It's also an incredible responsibility. In order to spread the story of Christ, though, we must be willing to go. It's a calling on all believers, on all followers of Jesus. And in order for us to do that, we must go. 
And sometimes we're not really good at that as a church. And there's some weird barriers sometimes that happens. You don't have to have the gift of evangelism to do this. We have conversations every day with people. Yes, even you introverts have conversations with people every day. So last month I gave you a challenge. And I'm sure it may have been dismissed or forgotten. I won't give you a pop quiz on that. But who is the Holy Spirit sending you to live and share the gospel to? Think about that. Who is the Holy Spirit sending you to? See, the mission of the Forest Lake Church is to live what? The gospel. Again, one person got that. Say it with me. Live the? Okay, and part of living the gospel is telling people why you live the gospel. Live the gospel. That's our mission. Live the story of Jesus. And then when opportunity opens away, then you can tell people why you live the story of Jesus. God's number one goal for the church is that all people may become disciples. So here's this month's, this month's challenge. I'll just reword what I've worded before over and over again. But who are you helping grow in Jesus? Who are you helping grow in Jesus? Let me tell you what excuse you might use. Here's the excuse you might use. I'm struggling in my walk with Jesus. So I don't feel like I'm equipped to share the story of Jesus because I'm messed up in my own life. Understand that's a lie from Satan because God will use your messed up life and your messed up story, poor decisions, whatever. He will use every single one of those to redeem somebody else when you share your own struggles. So I was a freshman in college, and I had never publicly accepted Jesus. I can't tell you how many camp meetings I went to in the old boys' dorm over here, down in the basement as a kid, and the pastor would call everyone up, Whoever accepts Jesus, come forward. And there's just this emotional thing that just took place. And I was literally the weird kid that refused to get up. The only kid. And the pastor would say, I feel the Holy Spirit is asking one more person to come forward. And I just sat there. I just wouldn't do it. I can remember my mom one time checking on me because I was a runner. Whenever she dropped me off, I'd go, pew, take off. But I remember my mom, Spanish, that describes a lot. She comes in, and she saw that. I remember it broke her heart because she walked me out at the end, and I remember her telling me, do you not love Jesus? I'm like, I, I think I do, Mom. I just don't feel like I need to go up there to tell everybody I love Jesus. And it was my freshman year. I'll never forget the week of prayer at Southern was Dwight Nelson came. I didn't even know who that guy was. 
And he taught us just a simple format of how to read the Bible. No one had ever taught me how to read the Bible before. And I sat there as a freshman looking at that and going, oh, from a devotional purpose. Studying, yes, people taught me how to study. But just to read it to hear the Word of God. And I remember I was working in the AV booth, Isaac, back there. And um, I used to do that. I didn't know what the buttons were. I just messed things up a lot. And um, I remember saying to the person when he made a call, saying to the person, um, I got to go down there. Wait, you got to finish up here. I got to go down there. I remember walking down the aisle and looking straight down at the carpet the whole time and my just chest just beating, just beating. And I remember getting on the front. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. I was get on the front of that Southern Collegedale church and on my knees and just sat on my knees and just sat there and prayed. And I could remember during that time, hands one at a time being placed on me. And it started getting heavy. So I started kind of going down farther and farther and farther. And when I opened my eyes, it was all these friends all around me that I had no clue were praying for me. I had no clue. I had my high school roommate for two years. I had friends that were, um, well, they're barely acquaintances. You know, Doug Spinella, I remember him, had his hands on me. All these guys just praying over me. I said, man, we've been praying for months for you. Months. And I didn't know, I was so far from God. And they all invited me, saying, hey, we're going to go to a high school and we're going to talk about Jesus. We want you to come. I mean, I was new. I mean, new. I didn't know anything about anything. And I was like, oh, I don't know. I'm going to go camping this weekend. No, 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 man. It'll be awesome. It'll be fun. I was like, okay. I chickened out on Friday and I tried to escape. And I remember sneaking out the fire escape, getting in my car. And the Lord somehow put those guys all in a car at the same time to drive right up to the car and saying, hey, you almost ready to go? We're leaving in an hour. And I'm like, yeah, I was just going to go to the grocery store. You mean Village Market right across the street? Yeah, I was going to drive to there. And I'm like, oh, cool. Two of them got in my car so I couldn't escape. Came back. And I was like, I got to go to my room because I, I got to get my bag. I didn't pack. So I literally like put like two pairs of clothes in a backpack and showed up to their car and we went. And that night, Friday night, again, brand new. Hey, this, everyone was talking and sharing all these awesome stories. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Praise God. You know, I think I'm supposed to say that. And he's like, Mark, come on up here. And I'm like, no. And you have like all these students, some youth rally, all these students out there. Mark wants to share his story about coming to Jesus. And I'm like, I do not. I'm like, come on, man, you got it. Let's go. Give Mark a hand. Come on. Over. So I came up and I didn't know what I said. I can't even remember. But when I was done, um, I can remember sitting over in a corner and all these students that had the same struggle came over here and said, 
I understand what you're going through. I'm going through that too. And then they started saying, I really want Jesus in my life too. Don't ever use the excuse that your life is too messed up to share Jesus. I was less than six days out and God gave me a platform of a bunch of stupid friends that pulled me up front and said, share your story. Just share your story. Let them share back. Ask questions. God's number one priority, his number one goal for the church, the church collectively, is to make disciples of all people. Who are you helping grow in Jesus? As you sing this last song, I just I really want you just to pray that you hear and listen to the heart of Jesus for those who are unreached, for those who need to hear. If you hear a name come to your heart, maybe it's your boss, maybe it's an employee, but start praying, okay God, I hear you calling me to this person, now give me the courage to go. Father God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray that you will move our hearts to feel the heart of God. Help us to be courageous and confident in who you are, what you have done in the past in our lives, what you have presently do right now in our hearts and lives, and what you will continue to do in the future. And help us to go to those who need to hear the story. Guide us, Lord. You lead the way through the Holy Spirit. Guide us to those people who need to know you. We pray this in your name. Amen.